I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. No need to investigate that claim too thoroughly, just take it from me. Adam Bayfield is my name and I'll be hosting this one and the man sat opposite me is Tony Kerr. Hey. How's it going, Tony? Very good, thanks, yeah. Well, you say that. Go on. We don't seem to be on the beach today. No, we sacked that off, yeah. London correspondent Gordon McRae, who, as the name suggests, is in London, was getting a bit peeved with our beach recordings, so we bowed to the dissent from the, uh, from the, the public. Bow to pressure, bow yeah. to popular demand. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. we're back in a sweaty flat. Which, I mean, of all the days to be not be recording outside, this is probably the worst one to choose. Yeah, and it's very much your choice as well. I feel, I did, I, I feel like you've bottled this, Tony. So for any new listeners, we've recorded the last few podcasts on the beach, which has been great. Uh, and then today we're we're back in Tony's depressing flat, uh, sat at the kitchen table, and it's because there's a thunderstorm on the way. It has clouded over. I mean, the, the forecast they give it a storm first thing this morning, but it then when I woke up this morning, it was bright blue sky, and my weather app is now saying it's not gonna it's not gonna arrive till later this afternoon for another not for another few hours, uh, but a few clouds appeared in the sky and immediately Tony was like let's just go to the flat let's go to the flat and I just I really think you've bottled it Tony yeah I actually think the weather looks quite good for this afternoon now so uh. (laughs) it's really really hot and humid in here as well I was quite looking forward to being outside it's so hot inside I thought you know get on the beach nice breeze well the the truth is that I was at work up the road uh, and I thought the microphones and everything were here so I was like well I'm not gonna be able to get out work quick enough to get down here, I thought I was going to arrive in a stress, and I didn't think you wanted that. Right. Um, but then I drove down here, and they turned out they were in the back of the car, so I could have <laughs> just met you at the beach anyway. Right. So <laughs> now the truth the comes truth out. comes out. You're like, mate, no, it's definitely going to rain. It's definitely going to rain. <laughs> We've got to go to the flat. I I'm see. actually getting hotter by the second. It's really, really <laughs> warm in here, so it's probably going to get quite um, uh, tetchy. Uh, and weird could bring a bit of extra spice and needle to it so yes i'm 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 borderline annoyed oh, that we're, going on that we're it, not yeah. on the beach but anyway um we'll make the best of it and that shouldn't be too difficult to do because we've got lots of cricket to talk about tone um as always these days there seems to be a lot of cricket going on england's international summer chunters on their test series with pakistan is well underway with the second test about to kick off in Southampton. Hopefully this podcast will be edited and available uh, before that starts. But we need to discuss uh, what was a very exciting first test in, the, in that series, dig into some of the, the big talking points to have emerged. And we've got a couple of other bits to catch up on from around the world. 
as well. So yeah, lots to look forward to. So um, let's crack into it just very quickly uh, for new listeners. Again, apologies to regular listeners who heard, heard me say this a lot. People are wondering what we're doing recording a podcast. Um, <laughs> less Madness. Than, less than one. <laughs> well, that's a reasonable question <laughs> yeah. to ask altogether. We've right? been asking that for years. <laughs> Actually, uh, I met up the other day, Tone, uh, with a very old friend of mine, uh, a friend from university who I haven't seen for... 12 years who's actually now uh married to a a a guernsey woman um who he met in london and uh they have come back to guernsey like for the for the pandemic came back (laughs) for the yeah came back um self-isolating and you know come back to wait out the pandemic it was really nice to to see him again had a good catch up and but yeah one stage it just made me laugh afterwards because at one stage he he said to me oh yeah i always remember uh, i always remember you were quite into into podcasting weren't you back in the day you're not still I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah and then i offered to send him the link to, he was like nah, don't worry about it no don't worry <laughs> don't put yourself out <laughs> by sending me the link um yeah, i remember you were a bit of a freak back in the day weren't you? you said to that <laughs> podcasting well, uh... well back in the day you had to explain to people what a podcast was i remember sorry we need to get on with the cricket but um i remember yeah sending someone the link to the podcast they listened to it and i was like oh did you listen to it they're like yeah 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 i enjoyed it i, I did have a question though um why do you do it it's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that is a good question well, the, the, the clipping emerged uh, from the, the local paper, didn't it, the other day? Someone dug it out of a, of a back cupboard. Well, I, I, have we ever posted it, slash posted the photo? No, I it's, don't think we have. by distance the most absurd. <laughs> well, it's too embarrassing yeah, to post. I think it you know, needs to go out at some point. We, we have appeared, or we've had the honour of appearing in, the, in our local newspaper several times over the years for just a variety of projects or like whims. <laughs> Hairbrained, yeah. skewed, half-baked ideas. <laughs> you, you, and, you and Gordon, I have to post that as well. The article when you, start, when you started a record label. No, that one, that, that one can be happily left to gather dust. But the, uh, the cricket one, the, the podcast one, we, we, it was when we started the original incarnation of the World Cricket Show, the World Cricket Podcast. Yeah. Very different, obviously. Pre, two years before the World Pre- Cricket Podcast. So this was like the summer of 2006. That's mad, isn't it? I don't think even like, yeah, even Ricky Gervais had heard of a podcast <laughs> at that point. But yeah, we, yeah, it, it was deemed, well, we, we self-declared it the first cricket podcast in the world, which may or may not have been true, but that was enough to, to hook the press in. Uh, and they came down and, and spoke to us and did a little article uh, and took a photo. If you've ever seen, you know, if you know your, what, what sort of local newspaper photography looks like you know it, it, it they always love a prop and some kind of pose where you're holding out or or you know crouching down next to whatever thing you're talking to whatever so yeah I, I think we got I've got a cricket bat I think yeah we're sat on the grass in Cambridge Park you're holding a cricket bat is Gordon holding a helmet Gordon's something? holding a cricket helmet and then I'm holding an iPod <laughs> like an original iPod this is how long ago it was and like pointing it at the camera with a big grin on my face you think we'd invented the iPod for like the sort of photo that was... Also, all our haircuts at the time, you know, even some of the England team at the moment uh, probably haven't got hair to, to rival those. 
I, yeah, I think you should post it at some point. I think it's worth I it. I might do. Well, I might have to post a record label one at the oh, same God, time. Oh, God, no, please don't. <laughs> a couple of 20-year-olds in Guernsey started a record label. Gordon's, Gordon's <laughs> quote. <laughs> Things have moved very fast. <laughs> have they bollocks? <laughs> oh. uh, surprisingly, that didn't really, uh, didn't really go anywhere. Anyway, what I was trying to say is not if not for people who are wondering why we're doing a podcast, but for people wondering why we're doing a podcast together in a flat, uh, less than a meter away over a kitchen table. Um, we don't have to worry about social distancing here in Guernsey because Guernsey is, uh, at the moment at least, COVID free. It's now um, more than a hundred days, isn't it, since the last new case? So um, yes, we are uh, in, in, in an incredibly fortunate position here. Uh, compared to the rest of the world. It's only possible, of course, because our borders are closed or effectively closed. You have to quarantine uh, when you arrive on the island. So we are in a little bubble here. You did leave the island the other day, Tone, went to the Isle of Man. I might might ask you about that at the at the end. There's an air bridge between Guernsey and the Isle of Man. So you went away. I haven't been away since Christmas. Was that the first time you've been away since then? Must yeah, be. well, we've both been to the smaller islands near to Guernsey, True. but not yeah. outside the Bailiwick, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. First time on a plane since March. First time away, yeah, since March. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's nice. Yeah, so, the, yeah, as you said, there's a there's an air bridge between, a quote-unquote air bridge between uh, Guernsey and Isle of Man because both places have no, or have had no kind of known cases for a while and have a sort of similar approach to things, which is great. So, yeah, Guernsey... There's going to be, or there has been, and there will be a few more sort of sporting fixtures between the um, between the two islands, which is really cool, including uh, a T20 international next Friday. So we'll go down and, and maybe grab a clip there. Um, Guernsey against the Isle of Man at the College Field should be good. It's on the uh, is it on the ICC website? As well, a, it's on the ICC website as a test, which uh, yeah, it's not a test match, yeah. um, but it's yeah, it's a, it's an international fixture uh, of which there aren't too too many at the moment, but but. One one that there is, is that a good sentence? Is, of course, England v Pakistan. The test series, a three-test series, which got underway uh, this week, and it got off to a fabulous start with a, a gripping test match at Old Trafford. Um, third test in a row, of course, at Old Trafford. And, you know, one thing to say before we say anything else is I think you need to get, you know, we ought to give some credit to the, to the groundsman um, for producing three very good test pi- pitches in, uh, in short order. Um, because this was, as I say, an excellent test. So Pakistan won the toss, chose the bat first, and they posted 326, thanks in large part to opener Shan Massoud, who made uh, a quite remarkable 156, but Barazam also with 69, uh, to to get them up to a, a pretty substantial total. And it looked even better than that when, well, at one point they had England uh, 12 for three. England would have felt they, they recovered somewhat to end up on 219, a half century for Oli Pope. But four wickets for Yasser Shah uh, meant that Pakistan t- took away a big first innings lead. And the, and the game seemed to be heading in, in one direction from there. But England came roaring back in the third innings of the match. Uh, they bowled Pakistan out for 169 uh, with three wickets for Stuart Broad, three for 37. There were some some late runs from Yasser Shah uh, to get Pakistan up from 137 uh, to 169 on on the fourth morning, which meant that they ended up setting England a target of 277, which seemed like it would be difficult on on that pitch, which was proving increasingly tough to bat on. Uh, and when England were 117 for five, uh, it appeared that the game was running away from them. But then a, a remarkable partnership between Josh Butler, who made 75, and Chris Wokes, 84 not out, 
steered England rather improbably to the target. And they got there with three wickets in hand uh, to wrap up a remarkable comeback victory. So this was another wonderful test match team. They've more or less all been great test matches so far this summer. And arguably this was the best of the lot. It was uh, absorbing stuff. It was exciting. It was surprising. I'm going to ask you a question in a sec, Tony, but there's a bit of a, there's a bit more of a preamble right, go uh, before we get there. Uh, I would say it's uh, one of the most enjoyable test matches we've seen in England for, for quite some time, both in terms of the very high quality of the cricket and also because of the swings and momentum. So, as I say, for the first two, nearly three days, it seemed like Pakistan were well on top and marching towards what would have been a, a landmark victory. But then England came uh, surging back, first with the ball and then with the bat, thanks to, to Butler and Wokes. So what conclusions can we draw here, Tony? Did Pakistan, <laughs> did Pakistan blow it? Uh, or should the story <laughs> here be mainly about the England comeback? Or is or, it? <laughs> Go on. A bit of both. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you reckon? What did you make of the game? Yeah, it was excellent, wasn't it? It was awesome. Um, yeah, so much to enjoy. Brilliant, uh, a brilliant storyline to the match. Um, some some fantastic individual performances. Probably for both teams, not not too much to criticise. I don't think, which is actually quite a nice position to be. It's quite. It was a. <laughs> you're gonna. It was a really good game, and we move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Want, we'll think, see you next week. I think you want more than that. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say you say not too much to criticise. Well, I'm just looking at my notes here. No, it's fantastic, and like the, the 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 chase that England put together, you know, obviously could have gone either way, um, and and for for Butler and Wokes to to kind of come together the way they did and and play pretty briskly to to get England on the front foot and event you know and set up the winner, you know, a shame that they both weren't there at the end, but um, yeah, it's one of the most enjoyable chases in in my memory, I think. Yeah, which is which is extensive. Well, yeah, two seven seven is a is a tough chase any day of the week. But it, but especially on that pitch, it was a very difficult pitch to bat on. So it's, it was a hell of an effort, and particularly from Chris Wokes, you've got to say that was an incredible performance. I mean, apart from anything else, it was unbelievable uh, nerve and composure to come in in that situation and and pull that out of the bag, to pull that innings out of the bag because it was you know it was it, it was playing proper cricket shots as well. It, it wasn't um, it was neither a kind of streaky um fluky innings nor that he just like swung from the hip and and it came off it you know he he just played very good sensible cricket and that's made all the more remarkable by the fact that he'd barely scored a run in test cricket for quite some time before this so he was obviously picked a bat at seven in this test and in the one before and I was um slightly apprehensive about that a few people have picked up on my tweet from before the start of the third test saying butler at six works at seven that's a big risk <laughs> um but but it was it, it is and it was because um you know works at seven i mean since since his hundred against india two years ago which obviously uh, an astonishing innings then but since then and before the start of this series so before this innings he was averaging 12 in test cricket with no 50s in two years he had no form at all coming into this and then to produce that innings is quite remarkable. And, you know, you wonder why it is the case that he went so long in such poor form because he's clearly, he's got so much talent. I mean, don't forget, he actually made his test debut as a number six batsman. At that point, there was a feeling that he might even end up as a batting all-rounder, seen initially as a bowler, but ended up becoming a batsman because he had the technique, he had a lot of talent with the bat. That turned out to be wrong. (laughs) He clearly is a bowling all-rounder. But... He is a very, very capable batsman and 
And this was a truly astonishing performance actually across the game because he took wickets as well, didn't he? Was it uh, two for 43 in the first innings and then two for 11 in the second innings? Uh, crucial wickets there uh, of Azhar Ali and Babar Azam. So there's obviously been a lot of focus on him in the aftermath of this game, but is it is it almost still the case that he's that he's not being talked about enough, that he's slightly underrated? If Ben Stokes had produced that performance, you know, the MBE would be in the post, wouldn't it? What do you think? Is he yeah. still underrated, Chris Wake? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, but I don't think that I don't think that's hugely or necessarily hugely surprising because the rest of the attack has been more lauded. If that makes sense, like you know, clearly, like you know, Archer came in with a lot of fanfare, and and we'll talk about him in a moment. But you know, came in bowling ridiculously fast, and and there was a lot of excitement about him. Obviously, Broad and Anderson are kind of you know legends of the game in England. So you know, Wokes has probably come up from I'll say nowhere but he did you know he started relatively slowly in terms of you know his England career bowling wise and but it's just got better and better and now now he his his numbers particularly in England are far super far superior are considerably superior to anyone else pretty much um was he, he's averaging like 22 in England 22 at home yeah I mean is it the case now that he should just play every home test that he's he's inked in for every home test when his record is that good I wouldn't disagree with it that. It was obviously left out of the first test of the summer. And when we were talking about England being spoiled for choice in the bowling before that, the start of that West Indies series, we were talking about the tough decision being, say, between Archer and Wood. Or, um, you know, the, it would be Archer, Wood, Broad and Anderson. You pick three of those. But actually, Wokes, you, can you afford to leave him out when he's that good in England? Well, I think now, you know, now he's added those runs as well. And, uh, you know, obviously it's been a fairly long running battle for England in terms of getting runs down the order and actually, um, you know, finishing games off or finishing innings off. Uh, but, you know, some broad gets some runs earlier in the summer now wokes a kind of sort of rear guard action, which is, which is really promising. And yeah, I'd say, I'd say at the moment, yeah, as, as things carry on, uh, yeah, I think he's locked himself in for a while. Well, it's an interesting one because, because yes, he's averaging 22 at home, Away from home, he's averaging 50 with the ball. So you could definitely say he should always play in England and never outside of England. But maybe that, maybe that is the sensible thing, especially right now when England do have those other options. Maybe someone like Mark Wood, you say, well, you know, he's maybe not the guy that you want or need in England. But in India this winter, assuming that tour goes ahead in Australia, next winter, assuming that tour goes ahead, maybe that then you do want Mark Wood. Yeah, I think that seems like quite a sensible approach. Pretty, uh, yeah, pretty pragmatic. Well, something, it, something about horses and courses. Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of sums that up, yeah. Um, but, but as you say, we, we've spoken about it this summer, you know, England do have a, a, yeah, a lot of strength and depth and a lot of options there. And rather than just sort of bludgeoning them, each one in, into the ground, uh, if, you, you know, if they're, you know, if an archer or whatever, or, or whoever you go for is your, is your, Anderson as well, is your kind of chosen you know, first choice, whatever, three or four. Yeah, rather than doing that, yeah, yeah, maybe it is the, maybe it is the better course of action to kind of manage them a bit more smartly and, and play them where they need to be played. And what about the, uh, the other half of that match-winning partnership, Joss Butler, uh, great effort from him too. Um, what did he make, 75? Was that, was that one in the eye for the critics, for the likes of you, Tone, who, who want Butler out of the team? <laughs> Uh, not convinced that's exactly what I've uh, <laughs> what I suggested. Um, 
Oh no! Look, it was a it was a kind of brilliant match winning innings, you know. Alongside, I know obviously Wokes finished it off and and yeah, more than played his part in the in the partnership. But that was good to see. And actually, yeah, Butler's putting together a little string of, of results here, isn't he? Um, well, two two in a row. Hang on, <laughs> he's bringing up his two half centuries in a row. Look, he, he's still got a little bit of work to do, but well, it's still the case that he's promising. only made one hundred and forty five tests but probably harsh to criticise him for not making 100 here, given that, well, he literally couldn't have done. Um, you know, they, they'd have won the game before he got there. Yeah, I, well, it was, it was a great innings, and he's definitely, um, for me, you know, earned the right to, to to continue in the side, at least for the rest of this series. I suppose the only thing is that that innings was made all the more vital, and, you know, some people were saying it was kind of playing for his test career there because he'd had quite a tough game before that and he'd had a tough game behind the stumps, missed a few chances, missed a stumping, dropped a, uh, a couple of catches, I think. So uh, I don't know, Does that, that presumably has to factor in for a wicketkeeper batsman. How do you sort that out on the balance sheet? He's, yeah, he's made 75 here, but how many runs did he cost the team from those missed chances? It's very difficult. Some people would say, oh, you just add up the the runs that were made after. I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that, but his wicket-keeping hasn't been that impressive this summer. You know, how many runs does he need to score in order to compensate for that is a, probably an open question. But Yeah, look, I mean, it, the the man of management and, and you know, team selection, you know, it's, it's obviously not an easy job. I think if, you know, if England were to win the second test, you know, I, depends how Butler performs himself, but I don't think there'd be anything wrong with having a look at, at folks. Do you have to just play the same team? If they win, you have to play the same team every time? Not necessarily. Well, no, but I like, spe- if this was yeah. football, you'd be like, you know, we've, we, yeah, if we've won, the, say, the first three group games or the first two group games in a tournament, the third game, you presumably give someone else a go and have a look at them. And then. Yeah. But then I suppose. I think you give yourself a headache if folks then comes and scores like a you know, turn and takes a couple of good stumpings. True. And, and the other point would be, or the other way of looking at it would be, you could say, well, if England win the next test and they've won the series then clearly you know it's not that much of a problem if butler's dropping a couple of catches they're still they're still able to win now this is probably a why this is a wider point but how much stock do you put it you know england's results have been improving of late one in south africa beat west indies if they do beat pakistan but then they are ranked six eight and seven in the world so if you're looking ahead to India to Australia, then yeah, how much do you say it's better to like build confidence and momentum and get that stability and winning team yeah. in place versus actually there's still room for improvement. Let's now that we've won, let's give someone else a go because we still think that we can improve. And I think we shouldn't necessarily get too carried away in that, you know, we'll maybe talk about win viz in a bit. Yeah. Um, but th- this is a game that this was Pakistan, yeah, and we, we talked about it at the start in terms of did Pakistan throw it away or England win it, and it is a bit of both, and, it, and to a certain extent, Pakistan did let it slip through. I wouldn't say necessarily threw it away, but clearly they could and should have put on some more runs in their second innings. Um, good bowling, obviously, from England, but you know they'll be disappointed they didn't get a few more there. And at five down, they would have been thinking, you know, we're well on the way to winning mm. this game uh, with England chasing two seventy seven. So. They will feel they should have won yeah. that. England yeah. did very well to get themselves out or to, or to, to dig themselves out of a, a little bit of a hole. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't think we should get too too carried away because the, yeah, it, yeah, they're not quite there. You know, if England want to be the number one side in the world, they back when they were, they would have been winning 
home tests by pretty big margins against quote unquote the likes of West Indies and Pakistan. Yes, definitely. There's there's still a long way to go for this team, and it's in some ways this match is a bit of a microcosm of England over the last few years. You know, they they were quite disappointing for a lot of it. They're actually outplayed for a lot of it, but then they pull something extraordinary out of the bag uh, and end up getting a result. And it's kind of in a way as a you know as a as a pundit, if that's what we are, it's quite difficult <laughs> to know how to talk about it because you know how how critical should you be how much should you praise them when they're not always playing that good great cricket or they're not playing sort of consistently good cricket but then they end up with the result yeah i was listening to the the verdict whatever it's called now um and bazid the, the khan debate. the debate yeah but bazid khan made a good point that you know obviously like pakistan have traditionally been known as the kind of sort of mercurial you know mm. impossible to predict could do anything kind of side but actually should should that mantle really pass to england because they're as unpredictable as anyone uh, at the moment. And when you look at the the sort of match winners in that side uh, and, and you know, the situations where players have sort of stuck their hand up and, and dragged England through, then then, then probably that is a, a pretty good point that actually England are the, the, the kind of unpredictable team that actually we should kind of just enjoy watching because anything could happen. Definitely. I was going to say that, you know, I do, I do come on this podcast and, and, and grumble about <laughs> England being you know, deficient in this area or that area or, you know, not being consistent enough. And I stand by a lot of those grumbles in some ways. But yeah, what I probably don't say enough is just how entertaining they are and how entertaining it has been watching England play test cricket for the last few years. They're certainly very watchable at the moment. They do produce exciting cricket. They 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 and their opposition produce exciting cricket. Um, so yeah, you get your money's worth. Yeah, and- well, I mean, would you rather see, you know, Jonathan Trott grinding out 180 or whatever to set up an innings victory or Wokes and Butler scoring it close to run a ball to haul in a you know a, a pretty chunky chase on the last day yeah well you've got to say the latter haven't you but yeah if you want to win matches that's probably not the way to go is it like consistently yeah I, I, I definitely would rather watch Wokes and Butler produce that partnership but on the other hand, I also want to see England go to Australia and win. And I want to see them go to India and win. And so I want them to to build a better team as a fan. But really, I kind of want, I want both. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. And you, and you know, yeah. and if they get it right, we probably could have both because clearly there are players in the England team who are legitimately world class and would fit into or yeah, would be considered amongst the best players if against the best teams in the world who could produce those exciting performances but you, yeah maybe it's just that sort of solid base that's that's still probably lacking slightly i probably need to lighten up a bit in that sense <laughs> but i suppose what just what frustrates me slightly is just that that people are very you know other pundits um and people generally are very quick to to write england's off or write them on effects <laughs> expression you know one way or the other so like the first test of this summer they lose to the West Indies and it's all doom and gloom then they turn that series around and suddenly they're the best team in the world again the truth is probably that they're quite a moderate test team with a lot of talented players some world-class players but they're not a world-class team overall but they you know they're broadly going in the right direction or they have been for the last eight or nine months but we shouldn't be surprised when they have setbacks when they lose to a a decent test team like the Western East, we also shouldn't be surprised when they pull off something like this. So I guess, yeah, I, I'm certainly guilty of this, but we should probably stop making uh, sweeping statements one way or the other. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I'm sure we're going to come on 
to talk about it at the moment. Um, but this is a, a, a kind of tasty Pakistan team, isn't it? And particularly in the bowling department, it's no shame to be kind of up against it, against those guys. Well, that'd be a really good link to go on and talk about Pakistan. But there's one other point that uh, I wanted to, <sighs> to to ask your opinion on, Tony, which is just, you know, we, we've talked we talked there obviously about the, the Wokes and Butler partnership and how important that was. You know, that was the match winning partnership. But we probably shouldn't forget about the bowlers either because, that, yes, it was a steep run chase, but it would have been a lot steeper had England not skittled Pakistan in the third innings, which they did. You know, they, the bowlers need a lot of credit there and it is easy to to forget about that. It's the same with that extraordinary, you know, Ben Stokes headingly run chase last summer. It's easily forgotten now that that was only an attainable chase because the bowlers had had set it up, you know, because there was a big first inning. Australia had a big first innings lead in that game. Um, and the bowlers did their bit there, and that's you know completely forgotten about now because the Stokes Stokes's batting steals the show. But um, it was the same here, and obviously Chris Wakes was a key part of that as well. But also Broad and the rest of the attack. The only th- the only my only sort of uh, concern at the moment about the England bowling is, is about Jofra Archer, and it's it's just about his pace. You know, th- this has been talked about a bit in the aftermath of this game and it's I don't know I, well I'll ask you what you think but it's it's hard not to notice that Joffre Archer's pace is not what it was last summer you know in in that Ashes series he came in and was you know just electrifying was bowling 95 96 miles per hour was really rattling the Australian batsmen including Smith you know who's, who is one of the great batsmen of all time this summer he's bowling mid 80s um, and and actually over the winter he was bowling mid 80s and you know, when Joe Root wanted someone to to rough up the Pakistan batsman in the third innings, he turned to Ben Stokes, who was actually injured rather than to Archer. So yeah, there is just a question at the moment of, of where Archer's pace is. And I don't know whether that's something you think we ought to be worried about. I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that he should be bowling 95 miles an hour or that it's easy or that, you know, I'll just put some effort in or anything like that. But it's just, it's just a fact. He's not bowling that fast anymore. And when he bowled that fast to Steve Smith last summer, we, you know, or certainly at the time, I thought, right, England have a truly lightning fast bowler on their hands here. And we've not really seen it since. Yeah, I was, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, yeah, tough to explain. I know Root has sort of said, you know, you've got to be patient with Archer. Um, he, uh, he did have an elbow fracture in the winter. Mm, and that could be, could be playing. Could still be playing. Yeah. I mean... Uh, it's, again, we t- we spoke about it earlier in the summer, didn't we? That you know, that there's been there's so much interest in Archer and his and his demeanour and his attitude, and obviously the the breaking the the protocol, the COVID protocol didn't didn't sort of help that picture. But it's yeah, it, you know, I think it's all it all kind of comes from a to a certain extent, I would think, comes from a place of like people just really want to see him bowl like he did against, as you say, against Steve Smith, because that was like one of the most ridiculously engrossing spells probably ever by an England bowler so to see him do that you know that, that's what everyone wants to see well and given it was it was his test debut and mm. was like bloody hell this is going to be so good so exciting what an amazing thing for England to have this guy and it just hasn't quite happened since then yeah. and you know he was uh out bowled or certainly out outgunned out outpaced by Nazim Shah and he made some comments and he archer halfway through the game saying, Oh, you know, well, let's see if he can still do it tomorrow kind of thing. And it just sounded a bit defensive and a bit, a bit like it is something that's playing on his mind. 
as I say, I'm not. Yeah, what's holding it? What's holding him back? Yeah, it's not a. It's not to say like, oh, just put some effort in, Joff. It's just like, what's happened? Why isn't it happening? And is it something that that England need to be thinking about, worrying about? Mm. And as I say, right now, I would probably go with Wood ahead of him. Not that Wood is necessarily going to be bowling 95 mile an hour every day either, but you know, he he seems like the the fast option at the moment. Okay, well, uh, imagine that Tony had just, you know, done his link just now and we'll come on to talk about Pakistan, uh, who, as we say, will be very disappointed to have lost that game. Now, you mentioned their bowling attack. Um, it was very exciting to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a really exciting bowling attack to watch because it's got a collection of really interesting bowlers at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously a mix of kind of age and extreme youth. Um, and it was experience in extreme youth, I should say. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they hold up over over the three tests. Um, but certainly, it's it's engrossing stuff to watch. I mean, some of the some of the spells of uh, you know bowling, particularly the first innings, were just brilliant. And yeah, we're going to talk about it at the moment. I think we we spoke about West Indies attack earlier in the summer and said it was one of the best you know attacks in the world. I think you know ahead of the series I thought on paper these guys probably looked well, on paper you know in terms you know my opinion was that they probably looked you know another notch above that even um and I think we probably saw a bit of that in this well, test well yeah what do you think I mean there it seems to be the pattern for quite a lot of teams around the world at the moment to have a very strong bowling attack and maybe slightly weaker or more fragile batting lineup. but but there are a lot of very very good bowling attacks around so yeah you watch this Pakistan unit and you think Phew must be one of the best in the world but actually you know where, where does it sit do you think this, i mean this might be a bigger conversation but you know how would you rank them at the at the moment the test bowling attacks i mean if you had to pick one it's very hard um i think australia probably um yeah Cummins, stark hazelwood yeah well this is it because i i sort of it, think it, in, maybe england in terms of you know, we spoke about it at the start of the whole summer in terms of maybe having six or seven yeah. pace bowlers in terms of depth Maybe not the spinner at the moment, um, although you know Bess is doing a decent job. Uh, New Zealand as well, not far off. Not mentioned India yet. Not mentioned India. Yeah. Well, this is it because you watch that Pakistan attack and you think, yeah, must be, must be one of the best in the world. But actually, I was thinking about it. I don't know if they're any better than fifth because I think yeah. <laughs> I think you'd go for me. I'd go Australia at the top, then India, then New Zealand, Saudi Bolt Wagner, and some other options as well. Then probably England just a nose ahead of Pakistan because of that depth you're talking about. So Pakistan are probably fifth with West Indies, who and we sung their praises. Probably no better than sixth. So it's it does, remarkable. It, isn't it does go to show, yeah. The well, and then South Africa probably would you know a year ago would have been number one, but have obviously lost um, Stain, Morkel, and Philander recently. So and they're probably now seventh, although they've still got Rabada. We saw Nokia come in. So there's, there's just a lot of. There's a lot yeah. of very good fast bowlers around right now, which is really exciting because 10 years ago, that wasn't really the case. It was a, a real kind of batsman-dominated era. And again, coming back to this thing, we should probably just appreciate it and enjoy it. It does make Test cricket more exciting when the bowlers are on top, which is generally the case at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, obviously we've become, we've grown fat, haven't we, on the uh, on the <laughs> on the sixes, on the boundaries of, of T20. And yeah, in a number of different ways, yes. <laughs> and yes. both literally and in a cricketing sense, on the yeah, on the boundary hitting. Lockdown and- was not too <laughs> kind to me in that respect. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but we yeah we've sort of, we've dined out on these um, <laughs> <laughs> on these on the on the boundary hitting in short shorter form of cricket over the last few years. Um, you know, led led by England. But yeah, there's no doubt it's a it's a refreshing or it's a nice palate cleanser to to get into Test cricket where yeah you've, you're seeing batsmen. Butler and Wokes having to kind of fight hard to turn the game back in the batsman's favour. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you look at the A, I mean, who knows what will happen to Nazim Shah, you know, as he develops, he's obviously still absurdly young, but he just looks, he's just an exciting prospect, clearly. Um, Shaheen Afridi as well, pretty young, goes pretty fast. Um, and at the other end of the scale, like Abbas and, and Yazir Shah, you know, just interesting bowlers to watch. Mm. I mean, I would hate to face Mohamed Abbas. Definitely I mean, I'd hate to face any, I mean, like, literally anyone. Any professional you, bowler. But, um, we, we, you're talking about a bass, like he's, you know, ancient, he's 30. Yeah, he's not he's, old. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's old, you know, perhaps. He's, exper- he's got the experience and he, and he knows how to use it. Well, his test record is phenomenal. He's averaging uh, 20 or just a fraction of 21 in 19 tests so far. So, yeah, you know, he's still... Although he's experienced and you know an ancient in terms of age, he's uh, he's still you know a relative newcomer to Test cricket. But he's got just a you know he's made a remarkable start. I mean, I, I suppose that's the thing about Pakistan. Why it's so exciting is because of the variety that there's. Yeah, a bus who's bowling you know in the in the seventies quite often and just wobbling the ball around, and then you've got a left armour in Shaheen Afridi, you've got the genuine pace of Nazim Shah, and then two wrist spinners. And having said, Pakistan are probably no better than fifth, and that I'd put England ahead of them, I suppose you could say that, that I'm thinking there about in England, you know, at the moment, but actually in other parts of the world, as you say, England don't really have the spinner. So given that Pakistan have Yasser Shah, one of the best spinners of the modern era, and another leg spinner, and other options as well, then probably in terms of a, a rounded attack you might go with them but yeah it's 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 very exciting it's exciting to watch on the flip side they're batting uh there might be more concerns about as i say there's uh, this is the case for a lot of teams around the world at the moment including england including the west indies who we've seen earlier in the summer now they do have um they do have some quality some experience in the middle order but it was it was one of the openers wasn't it that that stole the show uh, in the batting, Shan Masood, who made that 150. Now, the most impressive thing about that for me was the the patience, was the the, the confidence, the, the courage even that he had to to leave the ball alone. Which you know, I know he's he did play in England. Um, he has played in England before. He played uh, in that Test series in 2016. Didn't have a very good time of it then. Um, so he's obviously learned from that, and he just seems to have, well in that innings anyway. He seemed to have just complete command of his off stump of where his off stump was. Now, he's the first opposition opener to score 100 in England for two years since KL Rahul. Before that, it was Craig Brathwaite back in 2017. So it's not, it doesn't happen very often. Not many English openers have scored hundreds either. It's a real, you know, it's, it's tough batting in England, uh, especially with the Duke ball, uh, with the ball moving around. It's, it's a bit of a graveyard for opening batsmen these days. So, yeah, really, really impressive. He, he almost carried his bat. I say Sean Masood stole the show, but on uh, on day one, all the focus was on Babar Azam, who, who made a pretty eye-catching half-century. How how impressed were you with him? Uh, again, we talk about you know it being very enjoyable to watch the bowlers, very enjoyable to watch him bat, isn't it? No, oh, yeah, hugely. I mean, yeah, he flattered a bit, didn't he? I mean, he, we we saw what he can do, his timing and his you know some of his fantastic stroke play. Um, obviously, didn't quite push on to to make a big score, but. Uh, yeah, I think 
over the next couple of tests, it'd be yeah, very interesting to see how he goes. I wonder if people didn't perhaps go a touch overboard about it because, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, we t- they say the Fab Four, but it's really a Fab Five. You know, Root, Coley, Williamson, Smith, always known as the Fab Four. It should be the Fab Five. And, and that's, you know, certainly his numbers in the last few years would support that. He's averaging 63 in test cricket since the start of 2018. But again, having talked about the kind of sweeping conclusions that people make about the England team, I do wonder if there's a kind of, if it's a sort of like social media, Twitter driven thing that people do, people feel compelled to rush towards kind of grand statements. Yes, that is true about his numbers, but people were saying this because he made 60, um, you know, when he was 60, not out overnight, but it, it was only 60. Um, so it may well be true. He may well go on and and dominate the rest of the series. But I just wondered if that was a slight overcorrection because perhaps people hadn't given him enough attention, given him enough build-up before the series. I'm thinking of, you know, your likes of Michael Vaughan <laughs> and others who, <laughs> who perhaps were confidently predicting that England were going to, you know, we're going to yeah. sweep it easily 3-0. And then suddenly they're like, oh, actually, look at Babar Azam. He's a good player. So, yeah. I mean, and he's a player who's clearly kind of on the way up, isn't he? Um yeah, he had a sort of relatively slow start to his test career. Um, but then, yeah, he's got, you know, a clutch of hundreds in the, in the last few tests in Australia. Um, yeah, a few maybe against Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, which probably, you know, you would say have come mm. against slightly weaker opposition. Um, well, but the, certainly, yeah, the hundred in Australia. But certainly, yeah. The, yeah, the way he played in Australia was pretty exceptional. Um, and yeah, well, you contrast that with Joe Root, who is still kind of struggling to kind of reach the heights of his early career. Um, then there, there, there probably is a yeah. I think there is a there's a well justified case that that probably on kind of current form that Barazam is probably deserves a spot higher than Joe Root. Yeah, I wouldn't he? argue with that at all. Yeah. If you were going to pick a if you were picking a team today and you could only have one of Joe Root or Barazam, you'd, you'd probably go with Barazam, wouldn't you? And and that's but but then I suppose in talking about the Fab Four, you know, Joe Root is very much the Andy Murray of that. Fab four, isn't he? In the you know the other three, yes, it is a four, but the other three are quite significantly above him. Maybe Babar is like the Stan Vavrinka of it that you know he deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as Joe Root, but not in the same breath as Steve Smith necessarily. If you see what I mean. So, but there's certainly no question that he's a beautiful player to watch. He he looks a million dollars, doesn't he? When he's like those cover drives, just the you know the balance, the the timing is. It's appointment viewing. And I think, you know, it should be said, particularly when you're comparing against Joe Root, um, Barbara Zam's ranked number one in T20 cricket as a batsman, number three in ODI cricket. And on form, certainly over the last, yeah, as you say, over the last couple of years, it's probably not too far off the top in test cricket as well. So, um, yeah, as a, as a sort of three format player is pretty, pretty phenomenal. There are perhaps questions over the rest of the Pakistan middle order, the, the very experienced pair of, of Azhar Ali and Asad Shafiq, uh, who between them have played more than 150 tests, um, are struggling a little bit at the moment. So uh, Shafiq with 100 uh, in his last 17 tests, going back to the start of 2018, at an average of 36. And Azhar Ali in those 17 tests is averaging 26. And he's had some absolutely shocking series in that time, he averaged 15 in Australia. He averaged nine in South Africa. And he didn't have a great game as captain here either. Now, both of them are well into their 30s now. Both really 
old at this point. Asad Shafiq, 33, turned ancient. Really old. Asar Ali is 35. So, they, you know, there, there has to be a question, I suppose, about whether this is just a dip or whether they are kind of coming towards the end of their careers now. There's no no doubting at all their quality, but nothing lasts forever, does it? So, you know, it's a massive couple of tests coming up for them here. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, I don't know if you spotted, Tone, that uh, that Winviz was taking a few pelters on Twitter here. This is obviously the, um, how would you describe it? The kind of stats. Predicting the sort of win percentage. Mm-hmm. Winviz, if you like. <laughs> it's what many people would describe as <laughs> Winviz. So there's a stats and predictive company. Crickviz and their uh, predictive tool of who's going to win, you know what what the probability is of of either team winning is called Winviz and Sky use this don't they? And yeah, um, I think at one stage it had Pakistan at was it eighty seven percent or certainly uh, high eighties to win that game. And you know, given that England won it, people were um, uh, people were having a go. Now you know how I feel about Winviz. I've recently learned that a couple of those guys listen to this podcast. So apologies for what I might be about to say. I mean, in fairness, I think that that kind of criticism, like that, well, it said you, you had it as Pakistan at 87% and then England won. So clearly this is rubbish. That is based on a misunderstanding of probability, yeah. isn't it? Because England still had a 13% chance. If you played that scenario 100 times, England would win 13 of them. And that was one of the times... Um, but yeah, what do you uh, what do you make of that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm sure the you know the sort of WinViz is only a small part of, of the whole operation, is it? I, I, Crickviz operation. You yeah, mean? yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how useful it is to the viewer. I know you sort of think, without putting words in your mouth, that it, it kind of it extracts some joy out of the whole operation. But I don't know. I mean, I suppose for the casual viewer because that's the one thing in cricket isn't it that people say oh who's winning and it's like well I've, yeah someone's on top but the, the the criticism of it as as in like yeah they said pakistan were likely to win and england won is just ludicrous 
I did, I did say I sent you a, uh, a tweet from Opta, which I, to be honest, I still don't really understand uh, the graph. But I, 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 yeah, I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm the like the you know the idiot from the Paddy Power advert, or whatever. Who you know who, who prefers kind of gut instinct to data, uh, and I'm a luddite. But I don't think I am a total luddite. But I don't, there are there are certainly some of the analysis that emerges on Twitter, cricket analysis. I just find. Slightly, just slightly, uh, just insane. Yeah, for want of a better word. What was the one that you sent me? Well, I can't remember a, now. It's a threat map, and I'm looking at it now. I, I still don't really understand what it's showing. I, I mean, I haven't really looked at it in too much detail. I don't know. I'd like to go in and see this in off. Well, maybe we should go and do a bit of work experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be we good. just don't know what we're talking about. Well, we don't know what we're talking about, but I sort of think like. It, it it just has a bit of an emperor's new clothes feel to me, and like I I totally get the point that cricket like that cricket and sport were generally like there, there probably wasn't enough data before, and that a lot of it is really useful. And you know I love stat, you know I I love stats, you know I I don't have a problem with that in general, but I just think it's gone a bit too far down mm. the rabbit hole here, and something like the threat map is just as you say, it's like well what 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 do you want me to do with that? And and then with Winviz as well, I just think the whole thing is slightly misguided because like like Winviz is attaching a number to something that doesn't need a number attached to. As you say, yes, people people will ask, well, who's winning? For me, a part of the fun of cricket is that it's not always clear, and that actually there's room for disagreement, and that you and I might be watching it together, and you might say, oh, Englander. England are going to stroll this from here. And I could say, well, I don't know, you know, like a couple of quick wickets. and Barbara Zams at the crease. <laughs> exactly. And it could change. And, and I think having those conversations and arguments, like that's part of the fun. And if actually then you just are shown on the screen, Pakistan at 87%, it, t- it actually loses something for me rather than, um, rather than adding something. So, yeah, yeah, it, it I seems don't know. to me to be missing the point. But I maybe do, we need to get someone on from from. It'd be interesting previous. to talk to them about it um, and see what it is they're trying to like. I t- yeah, definitely a lot of those stats and data are really useful um, and do illuminate and, and add something. But but some of it, I yeah. I suppose you could just, argue like it's there. You either you're either into it and you you take something from it, or you're you're not and you don't. I, it kind of makes me think of like poker and I, the thing that slightly depresses me about the idea of like playing poker to any sort of level is that there's just or people that are good at say poker it's just cards arrive and there's a stock this is the mathematical response that you make to those cards it's like well i don't really see what the fun is in that yeah like okay the the fun might be winning lots of money which i've never successfully been able to do at poker um because i just you know I, i am just the kind of gut instinct idiot just let's just let's wing it or let's you know just lose my money but the the thought of just yeah of playing the stock response just seems maybe if you're a you're into that stuff it's you know it's rewarding but it just seems quite quite monotonous yeah to the, or quite it is, joyless it is joyless um it's just too much as you say something like the threat map is just too much so just yeah that's leave just, it at the worm basically <laughs> yeah, that's I, like, I love like, a worm like, start cricket stats should start and finish with the worm it tells you, <laughs> you need to know um yeah all right so that's my my gripe out of the way. Well, one of my gripes out of the way. Um, all right. As I say, the, the second test starts uh, tomorrow as recording this on Thursday. How do you see this going to How do you see the rest of the series panning out from here? Should be should be quite exciting, you would think. Very, very well-matched teams, it would appear. Definitely. I mean, you know, obviously, um, 
yeah, a, a bit of unsettling in the in the England camp with Ben Stokes missing the next two tests um, for family reasons. Um, so obviously England losing the man who's become their best batsman, uh, even though he didn't, um, you know, didn't make too much of an impression in this test. Yeah, that's obviously a, yeah, that's obviously a, a big blow in the series. So yeah, I don't know. It could go yeah, it could go either way. I think. I think my prediction pre-series was two-one England. Yeah, I probably stand by that at the moment. I think I think anything could happen from here. It's so you don't think anything could happen from here. You well, think no, I, it, I think England <laughs> will win two-one, but I think as in either team could win this Test match. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. That's the, yeah, that's a really solid prediction. No, I think, I think yeah, I don't think it takes. I don't you know, I don't think it makes me a genius to say that that that, that first Test match proves that the teams are pretty well matched in terms of yeah. It could go either way. I like the way you said that. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a genius, for, but if some people... <laughs> if you want to, If some can. people want to call me that, who am I to disagree? Not for me to say. Um, yeah, well, I think I predicted one all, which again... Could still come could off. Could happen. It is, it's hard to see a draw unless there's a lot of rain. Hey, by the way, the sun is still out mm. here. It is not rain. It's unbelievably hot in your flat. I just think we should have gone to the beach. Should we... Sack this off, scrap this one, go to the beach now and re-record it. Re-record. Like, how do you recapture that, no, you that magic, that lightning in a bottle that we've just produced? It's uh, it's impossible. But yeah, that is, uh, that's probably going to be uh, more or less it for the World Cricket Show this time. Although, uh, actually, having said that, one more thing I'd like to mention before we go. Did you see, Tone, the news this week that uh, next year's T20 World Cup is going to be played in India? So... Um, Listeners may well be aware, we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago, that there was supposed to be a T20 World Cup this October in Australia. That has been delayed because of the pandemic. So, But there was also supposed to be one, there was already supposed to be one next year in India. Uh, so they've now announced that that one in India will go ahead as scheduled and the one in Australia is now delayed until 2022. What did you make of that? So you actually asked me, I think, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you said, well, so will it be in India next year? And I was like, no, 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 come on. Yeah. Come on, that's, I sort of, yeah. You, you uh, flippantly dismissed it. that. Well, I clearly, uh, clearly underestimated the um, shameless... The clout, the clout of the BCCI. I was going to say shamelessness of the BCCI. But. Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, from a sporting and also just like politeness kind of way. It doesn't really make any sense, but then is that any surprise? Probably not. Yeah, it must be pretty tough on the Australian organisers. I mean, obviously, like the whole situation is, yeah, is, is very difficult. And, and who knows? Who, I mean, who knows whether even it will go ahead next year in India? I don't know. Well, You'd is, hope so. But this is what I was going to say. Like, maybe be careful what you wish for in a way, because is there a guarantee that it's going to be able to go ahead next October? I mean, we certainly hope so. Certainly hope that life I mean, it'd be will be crap back to if normal. We did, like if we weren't kind of back up and running by then. Um, I mean, I suppose there's no guarantee that it'll happen in in two years' time. But you know, we, we certainly certainly hope that it will be back to normal this time next year. But it's not necessarily the case. And you see the way things are going in India at the moment; it does seem to be pretty out of control. And there's especially if they're thinking that they're going to have fans in the stadiums. I just don't know that you know throwing their weight around and, and making sure that next year's one is in India is actually going to prove to be the right decision from their point of view. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, clearly we are, uh, we're all in on a vaccine for any number of reasons, most of them more significant than the T20 World Cup. But, you know, the vaccine is, much as I wish it was, the vaccine is not a done deal. It's not a sure thing that 
that this is going to be sorted out by this time next year. So it may prove to be uh, a bad decision from the BCCI's point of view in the end. It's just a bit disappointing. I mean, I don't know if disappointing is the right word. Because as you say, it's probably not surprising, but or it shouldn't be surprising. But I, w- I did read it and went like, wow, okay. Because it just seems... It just seems so obvious that you would delay both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not not what's happened. And the no. uh, the women's T20 World Cup has been delayed by a year as well. That was supposed to be in New Zealand in February. And even though New Zealand, <clears throat> well, until the last couple of days, COVID-free, but certainly the situation appearing to be much more under control than in most parts of the world, that's been delayed. But the one in India, the men's one in India is supposed to be going ahead. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that is a great shame. And, you know, in, in theory, could have been a great opportunity to, to get it on. But yeah, there is, I mean, this stuff's starting to pick up, isn't it? We've got the, the Caribbean Premier League starting in next week. Yeah, um, no, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I wish I <laughs> never normally watch the Caribbean Premier League, but, but I will this year. Maybe we should just try and get out there. It's a very good point, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, that's, that's obviously something to keep an eye out. There's a, there's a lot of stuff happening, isn't there? Speaking of New Zealand, they're, they're also you know, talking about hosting a lot of cricket over the winter. So, I mean, I guess it will be hinging on what happens in the short term. But yeah, it's all go. Snooker as well. Snooker I've been watching a lot of snooker this week. So yeah, it is all happening. As you say, well, we will be back next week to review the second test. Is this, this is five weeks in a row now we've done a podcast tone. Next week would be six. It's supposed to be our, our best streak for quite some time. Elena's loving it. <laughs> um, so, so looking forward to uh, getting another one in the bag next week. But in the meantime, if you enjoy the show, uh, get involved on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Cricket Show or at World Cricket Show on Instagram. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, then do leave a rating and or a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this uh, because that does really help to bring new people to the show but that is it please can we open the windows Tony can we open them like right now because I'm actually about to pass out stay in school everyone and we will see you soon take it easy treat bye bye for now it is boiling very very hot indeed I can smell your fear deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.